Today we're going to be discussing unity and the importance of unity and not just unity in the sense of like, you know, I like the Yankees and you like the Yankees. Now we're brothers for life type thing. You know what I mean? No, that only goes so far. And that's not the unity that Paul's going to be speaking on this morning in chapter four, verses one through six. Uh, unity is so important. And when I ask the question, who likes unity? Pretty much all of you raise your hands. For those of you that didn't, you probably just were too lazy or you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but we all like it. We all desire it. The, one of the things that I hate the most is when I'm at, at uh, when we have some type of discord between another person. I can't. It's hard when there's somebody and I have I have something against them or they have something against me, and there's just a break in our unity and our fellowship. And I feel like I have to go do something to make it right because I can't just let it stand. You guys ever feel that way? Yeah. It's hard, you know, because God created us to be together and to fellowship together. And we have church where we assemble together. You know, we are considered, as Paul puts it, one body, right? There, there's a reason for that. We're unified. We're together. And anytime there's a discord, it, it just completely breaks the spirit of, of God. And, uh, and so Paul is just encouraging us this morning. It's the first thing that he's going to share with us as we jump into chapter 4. After finishing all of the, the theology and who God is, in chapters 1 through 3, and he starts off with the importance of unity. And especially, you know, when you think about it within our church body right here, as a whole, and even more so, not more so, but even just as important here in this room right here, that we are unified. And we're going to talk about, you know, what that means and, and what it looks like and the importance of it. Because sometimes we're at odds with one another, and sometimes it's over little and, and petty things. And even if it is a big thing, God can overcome that. Because we already learned in chapters 1 through 3, it is because of what God has done in chapters 1 through 3 that we are able to be unified. It is because of what God has done on the cross that we're able to become one in one spirit. You know, other than that, whether you're a Yankees fan, this or that, or you both, you all love like salsa dancing or I don't know, you love taking selfies together. Like, you know, that's cool. That'll bond you for a minute or so, but... This is an everlasting unification that will be perfected when we get into heaven. And Paul's going to tell us it is your job, Christians, to make sure that we stay unified. You're not the one that does the unifying because that comes through the Holy Spirit. But as much as depends on you, as much as you are able to do, you're supposed to keep it up. You know, and so that's going to be the encouragement for us this morning. So let's, let's, uh, let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now I say... No, sorry, I'm in Galatians. <laughs> Let me turn the book over. You're like, what? That's the Message Bible. No, I'm kidding. All right. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, and with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see that? We have to endeavor. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And the one thing that will disrupt and divide us as a congregation, as as saints, as a body is sin. And that's why it's that's why it's so 
prevalent within the Bible and so focused upon that that we need to be cleansed from it, that we need to repent of it, that we need to turn from it, that we need to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not just like, oh, you need to be a good person, you need to abide by the commands. It's because of the destruction that comes from sin. Not only are you separated from God because of sin, but you become separated from one another. And we obviously know the importance of being connected with God, right? And there's, there's an importance as well as being connected as, as one another, as brothers and sisters and children of Christ. And so sin is what will, will divide us. It will separate us. You know, it, 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 it just it hurts and it, it divides your inner man. And it's so important, again, that we repent of the things in our life that are not pleasing to God. You know, and there's something. There's always something within our lives. And it's not always the big things that, you know, people point out or think of. It can be even little things like the, the things that Paul is going to mention here, like gentleness. Maybe, you know, you're not a very gentle person. And we're going to talk about what this gentleness means, right? So there's, there's the big things and there's the little things. Sin is sin. And you need to look within yourself and ask the Lord, what is in there that is not of you, that is not glorifying to you, that is disruptive to my fellowship with other Christians? So again, the importance of unity, the importance of knowing that sin is the dividing factor here. And the first thing that he's going to tell us, he says, I, he says, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Many times Paul will say that I am a prisoner of God, right? He said it, I think in one of the chapters earlier, he said in, in chapter three, verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says it in another book, I believe in Galatians, you know, constantly he's saying, I am a prisoner of God. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And at this time, what is he doing? Where is he? He's an actual, he's actually in prison, right? He's, he's, he's captive of the Romans and he's in basically house arrest and he's got a Roman guard watching over him as he's penning this letter. And he's trying to tell us, and I told you this when we studied chapter three, is that he's not really considered a prisoner to the Romans because he considers himself a prisoner unto God. Because if God wanted to free him, he would free him, right? He's already seen that done before. Remember in the middle of the night, the, the doors opened and they could just walk out? Remember they did that? Do you, do you guys remember that story where he was literally in prison? The doors opened up. The guard was about to kill himself. And Paul said, no, don't do that. We're not going to leave, right? So then Paul then presents the gospel to him. And at one point, they actually leave the prison. They go to this guy's house and then they come back. And they do this all within the middle of the night, Right? Like, so God, he knows that God can do any, anything for him. So if he's going to consider himself a prisoner, he's going to consider himself a prisoner unto Jesus. And he's laying his life down to the Lord because of what the Lord did for him. He goes on to say, he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Worthy of the calling. That's a good question. Are you worthy? Are you walking worthy of the calling that you were called. You're like, I don't know what that calling is. It's pretty simple. Christ called you, right, into salvation, and you accepted that free gift of grace through faith, and now you have received everlasting life. You've received his spirit. That is your calling. He has called you. Are you walking worthy of this Christian life? Think about it. Maybe, you know, maybe right now on Sundays and Wednesdays, anytime we're together, you know, and it's not even so much. Are you walking worthy at school? I think the most important fact in our lives is do we walk worthy when nobody's around? Are we walking worthy of what God has created us to be? 
And he reminds us, he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And he says, I want you to do it this way. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness. What is lowliness? Lowliness. How many of us think of ourselves as being lowly? Okay, just Anthony. Cool. And Amelia. That's good. You're like, no, I think of myself pretty highly, right? I'm the best and I'm the most beautiful and mirror, mirror on the wall, right? None of us are like, uh, mm. listen, the opposite of lowliness, I would, I would believe is, is pride. And, you know, we know pride to be a very disruptive sin, um, so much so that it was really the first sin that was committed and, and that's what brought sin into this world and in um you know so it's important for us and paul reminding us that when it comes to unity that pride needs to be neglected and pushed back and lowliness needs to be taken there we are to be lowly of mind you know just in the same mind that christ had we'll talk about that in a minute where philippians reminds us that but pride is so destructive listen to this i said there was two guys walking through the woods and they came upon a set of tracks And one guy said that they were deer tracks, and the other guy said they were moose tracks. They were still arguing when the train hit them. You know, we... (laughs) Nope. You can ask after. So again, he says, with all lowliness. With all lowliness. Not just with lowliness, but with all lowliness... That is one of the characteristics that we are to have as we walk worthy of this calling that he has called us. Again, this is the opposite of pride. And it's another word that we can use is, is humility, right? Are we humble? Are we, are we lowly? The Greek word here is, um, I don't ever, I don't know how to read Greek. So always forgive me. Let me spell it out for you. It's a long one. It's a, it's T A P E I N O P. H-R-O-U-S-U-M-E. Now, if that was in the spelling bee, there wouldn't have been eight winners. Anybody hear about that? Yeah. It means not rising far from the ground and adding mind to that. It's having a humble opinion of oneself. Modesty, humility, lowliness of mind, not the making of oneself small when he is really great, but thinking little of oneself. Now, this word is used in early secular manuscript of the Nile River when it's at its low stage is meaning it runs low. And so for you as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're to have this state of mind of lowliness. It suggests an unselfishness that manifests itself into sacrificial love for others. And back in this time when Paul is, is scripting this, this was a not a not a common concept among the the Greeks. It was just not something that they had ever heard or abided by. You know, so there is an importance to humility and lowliness when it comes to our unity, because again, pride just brings destruction. You'll be walking along the tracks and realize they're actually train tracks, right? And then you get hit. Listen to this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Here we're going to see the importance in that Christ sets the example for us when it comes to humility and lowliness. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but what? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Goodness, we could stop right there, and that would be a hard challenge for us the next of the week and the rest of our lives. But that is the first step, that is the first characteristic when it comes to unification within the body and us walking worthy of the calling that God has called us is this humility, this lowliness of mind where we esteem one another better than ourselves. He goes on in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only for what? His own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's a, that's a, a complete contradiction to what the world says. Because the world says you got to climb the ladder, you got to do whatever it takes to make it to the top, regardless of who you hurt on the way, right? And Christ is, is the opposite. We're to look unto others. We're to be that stepping stone to exalt someone else for them to climb. In verse 5, he continues and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, listen, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Tell me that's not lowliness and humility. Christ Jesus, who is God and the creator of man, came as a man in all lowliness of mind and making himself of no reputation in the form of a bondservant. He said, I didn't come here to to be served, but to serve. I didn't come here to hang out with, you know, the high and mighty. They need me too, but they're so high and mighty that they feel like they don't need me. So I'm going to go to the lowly who know that they need a savior and I'm going to go to them and I'm going to dine in fellowship with them. I'm going to break bread with them. And I'm going to use these 12 disciples who are a bunch of idiots, right? Who just constantly for three years argue about who's going to be the best when, when they have Jesus standing right in front of them, teaching them everything that they need to know. And they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail. And yet, Jesus still came to be one of us, and he came and he loved us. That's lowliness. It goes on to say in verse 8, and we'll stop there in that verse. It says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even, even the death of the cross. Lowliness of mine. And Christ gives us that example. And Paul reminds us that we have to have the same mind that is in Jesus Christ. To be lowly of mind. You know, to, to see unity, it starts with this lowliness. Right? Again, you are valued and you are loved and you are so worth it. Right? You're, you're not nothing. Don't, don't think of it that way when it comes to Christ. You're more precious than anything. But when it comes to our, our pride... We need to, you know, stop there at the door and we need to go and we need to live in humility. Pride. Listen to this story. This is funny. I read it to Whitney and she didn't think it was funny. You didn't laugh though. <laughs> it says, I right, listen. So a large company. Dude, this like so reminds me of when I used to work at my old company. A large company feeling it was time for a shakeup hired a new CEO. And this new boss was determined to rid the company of all the slackers and show everyone what he was made of. And on a tour of the facilities on the first day, the CEO noticed a guy leaning on a wall and the room was full of workers and he wanted to let them know that he meant business. 
The new CEO walked up to the guy leaning against, against the wall and he asked, How much money do you make a week? A little surprised, the young fellow looked at him and replied, I make $300 a week. Why? The CEO then handed the guy $1,200 in cash and he screamed, Here's four weeks' pay. Now get out and don't come back. Feeling pretty good about himself, the CEO looked around the room and he asked, Does anyone want to tell me what that goof off did here? And from across the room came a voice. That was the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. What's the verse? Pride, pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. <laughs> right? Pizza guy's like, all right, I won't come back here. That's amazing. Oh, pride, lowliness. So we start off with lowliness and then it goes on to gentleness. Okay? So again, he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness, which we just, just discussed, and gentleness. Now, what is gentleness? The Greek word is P-R-A-O-T-E-S. And it means mildness and meekness. It is the attitude of mind and behavior, which arising from humility, because we have to start off with humility. We have to start off with lowliness to achieve gentleness. It disposes one to receive with gentleness and meekness whatever may come to him from others or from God. In the Greek language, this word was used for a soothing medicine, a colt that had been broken, and a soft wind. In each case, you have power, but that power is under control. And in contrast to to gentleness is a harsh attitude, rough severity. You know, and that that could be spoken of, of a lot of us. Gentleness is more than just, you know, like being gentle. Like, you know, it's more than that. I have to teach my two-year-old daughter, gentle, right? Because the opposite is a slap in the face, <laughs> honestly, you know? But, but there's an attitude behind the action, a spirit of gentleness. And that is birthed and it comes from a mind that is lowly. So again, it starts off with this lowliness and then it will escalate into a spirit of gentleness. And it's important for us to be gentle. You know, throughout the Bible, it tells us, you know, to be gentle. I think one of the one of the parts in the New Testament when we're to confront a brother, we're supposed to go in gentleness. Because in gentleness, that's going to diffuse basically any situation. You know, like let's say we're in an argument, right? And I know exactly how to make it worse, right? And I also know exactly how to stop it. You know, I know exactly how to handle it in the right way. And in talking and coming about in gentleness is the way to do it. And I I know from experience, I know from the word, and you know from experience that if you come back with harshness or or you being rough or angry, that's going to completely divide us when it comes to unity, either as a couple, as friends, or as a body. And so again, it's important for us to be gentle with one another because we're going to mess up. We're going to hurt each other. You know, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose. And, and then when it comes to reconciliation or it comes just to everyday life, we have to be gentle with one another. Meekness. I love this. It's power that is under control. That was Jesus Christ, right? Who literally carried his cross 
to be crucified and people spat on him and plucked his pulled his beard out and yet he had the power to do what to stop all that right and yet with power that was under control he showed us what meekness really was because of the love that he had for those people who were just not treating him the way that that they were supposed to treat our lord and savior so we start with lowliness we move on to gentleness and the next thing that paul tells us is long suffering goodness i have eight minutes long suffering long suffering is patience endurance steadfastness perseverance it's slowness in avenging wrongs the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate a wrong <laughs> that's for you guys it is always used in relation to people having patience with difficult people as opposed to being patient in difficult circumstances you guys have difficult people in your life yeah i have about 50 you're right in front of me <laughs> i'm just kidding but we're difficult with one another but imagine how much more difficult we are unto god and and how much more long suffering he is unto us you know the fact that jesus christ has not come back yet just shows you of his long suffering just shows you of his patience and his love now there is consequences to our sin right and so because he is a just god he will come back to avenge that but he's waiting he's long suffering because he's giving you time to repent he's giving you time to realize that you're a sinner and that you need a savior because he could have just came back five minutes after he rose again right but he's waiting long suffering stands over against impulsive hostility or impetuous reaction in a manner of speaking it suggests the long burning fuse that ultimately fails to ignite I am the opposite of long-suffering. I wish I was long-suffering. I, I try as hard as, as I can and, and ask the Lord to give me that, that patience and that long-suffering. And there comes times, listen, you might relate to this. There comes times where I do so good with long-suffering, but then I, I fail. And then the fuse just ends and I just blow up, right? And I'm thinking in my mind, well, man, I went so long, right? It's not about how long you can go. It's about never really letting that fuse go out, right? And I always thought, well, man, I went this long or that long, but I still ended up failing. But because God is gracious, he gives me second chances. And so for you and I, when it comes to unity, again, this third thing, long suffering, we have to bear with one another. I mean, look at us. Some of us have been in this youth ministry for six years. We've seen each other every week we we go to retreats we you have to bear with one another for four days and three nights right and your weird things that you guys do because of your weird personalities you know some of you have like weird rituals before you go to bed some of you don't shower some of you don't brush your teeth no hey hey it's not only Preston it's all of you okay whether you shower or not, all of you stink, and we have to put up with it, right? It's long-suffering. I'm glad you've never seen me shower. All right, really quick, really quick. 
Four men are driving cross country together. Four men. They're driving across. Has, has anybody gone cross country? West, east, east, west. Yeah, it's a long trip, right? Talk about long suffering. Talk about patience with one another. So these four guys. There's one from Idaho. Listen, one from Iowa and one from Florida. And the last one was from New York. So we got these four guys. They're going down the road. And the man from Idaho. This is a really random story, so bear with me. He starts to pull out potatoes from his bag, and he throws them out of the window. And the man from Iowa, he turns to him and asks, what are you doing? And the man from Idaho says, man, we have so many of these potatoes in Idaho. They're laying around on the ground, and I'm sick of looking at them. A few miles down the road, the man from Iowa begins pulling out ears of corn from his bag, and he throws them out the window. And the man from Florida is like, dude, what are you doing with that? Why are you doing that? And the man from Iowa replies, man, we have so many of these things in Iowa. I'm sick and tired of looking at them. Inspired by the others, the man from Florida opens the door and he pushes the New Yorker out. <laughs> Listen, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, here we see the prime example of Jesus Christ, our God, our Lord and Savior, who shows us what it means to be a follower of him and what it takes for us to build upon this unity that he has given us through his spirit. So we start with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. He goes on to say, bearing with one another in love. And this bearing with reminds us that we are to hold up to hold oneself firm, to sustain, to bear, and to endure. We're to do that for one another. We are called as Christians to endure, to bear with, and to put up with one another. You are. And it's hard. It takes work. That's what Paul's reminding us here. Like It's going to take hard work, and hard work is good because it can be very productive, and it's going to take that hard work to sustain this unity. Again, you do not create the unity because the Holy Spirit has done that. It says, because we have one spirit, we're of one body, under one God. But we are to endeavor, we are to build upon that, we are to keep it and sustain it and allow it to continue. So again, bearing with one another in what? Love. Paul ends it with love. So we got these four things, lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, and love. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's pretty simple. But again, this is important when it comes to our unity because there's so much that divides. There's so much that within the church and without the church, there's so much that just divides us as people. Little things too. Arguments. Th- she said this. He did that. I, I kid you not. I was... Let's see. I was in a meeting one time, long time ago, and there was adults arguing and bitter towards one another because of the way that one person looked at the other person. And it caused such a huge division within, within like families and people. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, can't you just like get over that and, and bear with one another? Be patient and gentle and long suffering. You know, so there's these little things that can divide us, you know, and, and Satan will use that. There's nothing better than discord within the church and division and disruption. There's nothing better to stop the ministry that God has for us than division. 
And every time I've gone on a mission trip, there's always been an incident that has divided the group. Because that's Satan's way of disrupting us and stopping the goodness that God has set before us when it comes to our missions. I remember I went to London one time for a missions trip and we had this huge whole thing where we had to stop everything that we were doing and, and we had to get back together and just be unified as, as a group. Because we weren't, we couldn't do anything in the spirit. We couldn't do anything for the Lord if we were divided as, as a people, as a body. You know, imagine, imagine dividing your literal body up right now, yours. Imagine trying to live a, a pretty, imagine trying to live. Just, I can cut you this way or this way. You tell me. Either way, it's going to be hard. You know what I mean? So any, any type of division is, is bad. And, you know, God created us a certain way. And, you know, he wants us to be whole. And he has created us whole as a church. We're a body and we're all so important. And we all have different functions. And the beautiful thing about our unity is that it's so diverse. And that we've all been created for different functions. It's going to look different, right? Our unity can look different but we're still unified under the spirit because a toe looks different than what your nose, right? For some of you (laughs) again, and it looks different and it has a different purpose, but what it's unified because it's one body. This it's the same overall overarching objective. And we know that Christ is the head of the body, right? Unity, it, requ- it requires work. We see here in verse 3. I'm going to stop when Miss Megan gets here because I don't see her. Oh, no. All right, verse 3. <laughs> it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, you have to make an effort. It takes and requires work. This Greek word for endeavoring, it means to be especially conscientious in discharging an obligation to be zealous and eager to take pains, make every effort to do what is needed to be done. And because unity is so difficult, we must be willing to work extra hard to maintain it. So again, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He's not saying you don't need to endeavor to create it because it's already done because of the spirit. He says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Right? There's one body. As a church, there is one body. Now when you look and I was driving around with my brother this week, and we went down maybe, I don't know, quarter of a mile. You know how many churches we passed? Six. Six. I went to a meeting not long ago where the churches in Clayton all met together in the town town hall, and, and only like 10 showed up. But then I went online, and I looked, and there was like 20,000. I don't know. Not really, but you know what I mean. Then I started to think, oh my gosh, how many are there like in the U.S.? probably in the millions, right? Now, we all differ in different, you know, denominations and the things that we do, you know, but when it comes when it comes to Christianity, we have this oneness in Jesus Christ. There is one body and one spirit. We do not make up the entirety of the body here at Calvary Chapel Clayton, right? We do not make up the entirety of the body when it comes to Calvary Chapel in general, right? There are great churches down the road where we are a part of the body with them. And so not only are we unified here as a body in Calvary Chapel Clayton or even as a relentless youth, but even more so as a body as a whole all all around the world. So we are one body and one spirit. I love that. One body and one spirit. 
Again, and this takes work. Nothing is ever really handed in to you. The only thing that's really handed to you is salvation. <laughs> it's a free gift. After that, as a Christian, guys, it's going to take work. Work. It's not going to be easy. Nobody ever said it was easy. Jesus never told his disciples, Cool, guys, you can chill from here on out. I, you know, I've got it for you. No, he says the world's going to hate you. It's going to be hard. You're going to stumble. You're going to get hurt. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. You're going to be brought through the fire. It's going to take work, and it's necessary for us to be unified. And again, it's important, especially as a church and also as couples. And I was watching Brain Games the other day. I was watching Brain Games, and I don't know what the subject was. How many of you guys have seen Brain Games? Yeah. It's, wow. Okay. Wow. We all agreed on one thing. Brain Games. I was watching it, and it was talking about how the divorce rate as humans, I don't know, maybe it was just America, is stupid high. We're talking less than 50% of people uh, stay together for life, right? So then he's like, well, there's actually a ton of animals that mate and stay for life, and they have one partner. And I was like, oh my gosh, like all these animals. And he said that there was a 100% success rate. Crazy, right? These are the animals. Listen, really quick. A macaroni penguin. I don't know what that is. <laughs> a sandhill crane. A seahorse does better than us when it comes to unity. When it comes to sticking together. Because when it comes to division, it comes to divorce, it's, we're not working it out. We're not in one spirit and one body. A gray wolf. A barn owl. A shingleback skink. <laughs> it's, it's a type of lizard. You're like, oh my gosh, Jeffrey said this. A bald eagle, a gibbon, a black vulture, beavers, swans, and pigeons. Pigeons. Romans says this. Listen, listen, I don't have a lot of time. Listen, Romans says this. In 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It depends on you. Don't say, oh, you need to do more work. No, you do more work. As much as depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. Again, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to endeavor. Again, we're in one body. You know, here she comes. In one spirit. We are unified under this one spirit. And this spirit is the Holy Spirit that is in all believers. I'm almost done, Megan. I promise. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Right? It's all under one spirit. Now he also goes on to say, at the end of verse 4, of one hope in which you were called, right? We have one hope. What is that hope? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. It's the hope of our salvation. We have been given that. He goes on in verse 5. He says, one Lord. What does that mean? Jesus. There's one Jesus, and there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved, right? That is Jesus Christ. It says in Philippians 2, 9, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of the Father. One Lord, that is Jesus Christ. One faith. What is that? Simple. We all have one faith, the faith that has been given to us from Jesus Christ that saves us. We receive this grace through faith. And I believe that within tradition and churches and, and whatever, it has gotten so complicated that the simplicity of our faith in Jesus has gotten so complicated that we start to add stuff when it comes to faith. 
I receive grace and salvation through faith and faith alone, through Jesus Christ. It is not through faith and not lying. It is not through faith and, you know, not being a bad person. It is through faith and faith alone. Don't overcomplicate it. He says, by one faith and one baptism. What is the baptism? Simple. There's one baptism. Although it's not required for us for salvation, the Lord does encourage it as Christians to show that we have been transformed internally and that we are to, to, to show everyone, to let everyone know that we have been saved by grace through faith, that we are a new creation, that the old man has passed. He goes on to say in verse 6, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It is all under our God, the Father. Unity is so important and it is important that we keep it. And if you have any discord with one another, if you guys are at odds with anybody in this room, you guys need to make it right. Because what happens is something little will snowball into something big. And if it's not dealt with right away, things will be taken out of context. Things will be made bigger than they really were meant to be. Or you may have just misinterpreted or misheard something. And that's why it's so important to go in lowliness and gentleness and to work it out and to be unified and to bear and to love one another. This all happens through God, through the spirit that he has given us, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll end with this. In Psalm chapter 133, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a good thing. Work for it and work on it. Let's pray.